Can you guys hear me? Okay, I think we should be good. Guys, I am so ridiculously hot. Uh, I don't know how long I'll be able to maintain this, but let's get through your questions. Sincerely appreciate it. Give me the okay that my audio is good in the chat. And I should turn on the scene switcher. Uh, Ray Pete and Georgie Dinkov this Friday, so that should be fun. I had to move this because uh, it was so hot. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, I didn't want to keep moving it around. Uh, so, okay, go ahead and give this episode a like if you enjoyed it. I sincerely appreciate that. And, and like I keep stressing, I, I just, uh, by my own fault, I don't think this content is very popular on YouTube. And so, uh, like you're in a barrel. Okay. Um, well, I tried to have a fan running while I was doing this, but it always screwed up the audio. So let me move this a little bit closer. Hopefully that's a little bit better. Uh, and then I put questions for these live streams in the community tab about a week before. And so I'm trying to consolidate all the questions uh, in one place. Okay, with that, let's get to these questions. And you guys should be able to see these. Uh, this one's from James. And he says, uh, interested in what your personal hygiene routine looks like and tips from people wanting to avoid soaps and standard wash products due to harmful substances used in them. I've heard you say you won't put anything on your skin that you wouldn't ingest uh, orally. Wondering how this extends to cleaning for you and how detrimental you think the standard shampoos and body washes are to a person's health. So this is something that like arose to my consciousness way before I ever learned who Ray Pete was. And uh, it was when I was on the regrowth.com forums. And so that's, those are older balding forums. And uh, the people were examining shampoos and such. And a name that I kept seeing was sodium laurel sulfate. And you, you look up what that is, it's like industrial floor cleaner, like, or it's added to those types of products. And those were in shampoos. And I was like, how could this stuff be in a, a normal shampoo? It like, didn't make any sense to me at the time. This was really early on. This must have been like 2005 or so. And so uh, that increased my awareness of how polluted the, the body cleaning products were. And then I, I was a little bit more judicious about what I would use on my skin uh, and face wash. Like I, I uh, used all those trendy things people use in high school for like acne and stuff. But then I started thinking of like how harsh the chemicals were. So I stopped over time. Anyways. Uh, as it stands right now, and again, nobody <laughs> needs to copy me, um, but I, I use baking soda for pretty much everything. And if I had access to it, I might use coconut soap. And, uh, and so that's kind of my primary thing. So whenever I land somewhere, I'll just buy a ton of baking soda and use it to wash my clothes, clean myself, wash my hair, etc. Use it as uh, toothpaste. And so I would eat baking soda. And so I don't feel uncomfortable putting it on my body. Like if your skin is a big sponge and you're absorbing everything it, it touches or any kind of soluble thing that it touches, I think it's a good practice. And then Andrew Kim, he was an old Ray Pete or, or uh, oriented blogger, but he had his own thing. I wouldn't want to say he was um, some sheep that followed Ray Pete or anything, but he talked about like, uh, I think topical polyunsaturated fats cause the uptake of calcium like immediately. And so there's a Fujita paper in like 1994 that says the uptake of, of calcium, like an excess and influx of calcium into the cell is one of the final common end paths and like cell death. And so you don't want to be uh, prematurely killing your cells, I think. Uh, so did I actually answer this question? 
Yeah. So baking soda and then, yeah. So maybe I take it too far or overboard, but I, I just, uh, I, I, baking soda has been working. Okay. <laughs> the only other thing I'll add is like my girl, girlfriend is extremely critical of me <laughs> and she, uh, tells me how I, if I smell bad, you know? And so whenever that's happened, I actually think that's useful information because it's usually something metabolic or intestinal or something or something. So if I've taken an antibiotic or I've taken some flowers of sulfur or something, sometimes the smell will go away immediately. And so if you have a partner like that, it's actually, uh, uh, can be challenging, but it's useful too. So, uh, thank you for that, James. Appreciate it. Seriously hot. <laughs> uh, this one's from Lori. She says for female pattern baldness, uh, would the peat friendly way of eating help with regrowth? Also, if you have stomach issues, pain, bloating while eating the right way, what would help? Okay, so I'll just emphasize that I, if you're experiencing pattern baldness, my, my uh, thing that I, I wouldn't try to progress just simply sticking to a good diet. You know, I don't think that's, um, I don't really have that mindset, that uh, diet centric mindset per se. I think diet is very important, but I think things like correcting the vitamin D deficiency, if it exists, a vitamin K deficiency, if it exists which it most likely does. <laughs> um, and I think correcting a thyroid deficiency also if a person is in an advanced age, an advanced age might be like, uh, well, or in terms of accelerated aging in, in pattern baldness, maybe that's over 25, you know? So, um, and especially for the younger guys, like 19 and 20 experiencing baldness, I think we, we talked about this before, but I think the pattern baldness, uh, a few papers have called it a state of accelerated aging. And so I think that all the tools available to the person should be used, uh, given that they feel comfortable with what they're doing. And so I think nutrition is obviously one of the easiest ways to uh, go about experimenting and getting more comfortable with things. And, and liver and oysters and eggs and getting more calcium, those can have a dramatic impact on a person's health, especially if they were missing before and avoiding polyunsaturated fats and stuff. But uh, but yeah, I think just nutrition is one very complex tool in the toolbox. And like I said, um, vitamin K, vitamin D, uh, correcting a thyroid deficiency, aspirin to lower systemic inflammation from the stored polyunsaturated fats, things like that. I think that would be on the table in female pattern baldness. Uh, even though I, I really I think it's the research on female pattern baldness is a little bit better because they're not stuck on the male centric masculinity model as much as the male pattern baldness, but um, I don't see that as some like radically different condition than the male counterpart. And so I think uh, just lowering the stress, <laughs> lowering the adrenal stress, uh, getting the thyroid function up as uh, indicated by your pulse and temperature and not by the TSH test, I think those are steps in the right direction. Let's see how everything is here. All good. Audio is okay. Oh, it still sounds like I'm in a barrel. Guys, give me an audio check. I did tweak some settings stuff because uh, I am in a new room, but I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. You know, that's uh, really amazing on this Sunday night. So thank you. Okay, I think it's fine. Sounds fine. Okay, good. Thank you so much. Okay, Anna Bobcow, very hot. <laughs> Uh, how would you get rid of excess lactic acid and how would you steer your metabolism back to burning sugar for fuel efficiently? Any uh, recommended supplements? What's the most important uh, diet, uh, dietary advice to aid this process? And thank you so much for sharing your research. Much appreciated. 
I'm probably going to sound like a broken record, but I think like digging into the content and finding things that <laughs> resonate with you, you know? So when Ray was talking about calcium, I thought about my own history with nutrition and I was like, man, I've never really gone about trying to get a lots of calcium on my, my diet. And so that made sense to me at the time. So I incorporated it and experimented with it. And so again, I think Ray has kind of, um, uh, endowed us with this wisdom that we can take and make our own and progress forward. And I just look at him like a, a teacher with a lot of wisdom and that we can uh, utilize the things he's talked about to hopefully move in a fruitful direction. And so uh, again, Anna, Anna, this would depend, I think specifically on the person's age, like if they were 40 or older or 35 or something like it might Diet and modifying the nutrition might be immediately a, a good start, but again, they might need a thyroid supplement. They might need to correct a vitamin D deficiency, um, and those would help, uh, I think, convert sugar to carbon dioxide rather than lactic acid. And then I did have a quote. Uh, hopefully, my scene switcher works. Uh, can you guys, can you guys see my Evernote? Yep. Okay. And this uh, is a quote from Otto Warburg in. 1927, he says, since the tissues tested do not under normal uh, uh, conditions set lactic acid free in the blood, but rather remove it from the blood, one must inquire about where lactic acid in the blood of normal animals comes. And so I think having a high rate of metabolism helps clear lactic acid. And Ray's, one of Ray's arguments is that lactic acid is like a semi-toxic mediator of stress, increasing like the, the activation of the pituitary and liberating the free fatty acids and blocking the use of glucose and shunting it into lactic acid. Um, any recommended supplements uh, like vitamin D, if you're deficient, uh, if you want to care, the, if you consider the carrot salad, like a, a, a supplement, because, um, uh, because the, the intestine is like an independent source of stress and can promote a lot of the, the, the free fatty acids blocking the use of sugar by activating all the stress systems. Very hot. <laughs> okay. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing your work. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Anna. Thank you for that. Um, Alha, Alha Jen, could a predominantly meat-based diet be healthy if you balance it with eggshell calcium and some fruits for sugar, vitamin C, potassium, magnesium? Uh, yeah, probably. I didn't catch that fruits part the first time I uh, read this, but yeah, I just, th I think like the meat is, there's nothing, uh, inherently wrong with it. I just think it's, uh, it's kind of like the wrong frame. And so again, I think all the critiques I've made of low carb carnivore or whatever, is just like, it's framed wrong, uh, in my opinion. And so uh, they're talking about, oh, what should our ancestors say? And in, in fact, <laughs> you know, uh, Paul Saladino, who the only reason I mention him frequently is he's like kind of the face of carnivore. And uh, if you scroll down on my Twitter a little bit, a little bit. Uh, I was I wasn't shocked, <laughs> but but this is a this is a no carb or uh, this is a carnivore pivot. What he's doing, and as some of my audience knows, and anybody who's been around in the health world for a while, like people make these transitions, but they want to save face, and so they never actually like admit like to any wrongdoing, you know. But if you, if you read Paul's book, he is super anti honey. He's uh, of the opinion that. Um, 
you know, like there's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. And I'm not, I'm not like critiquing him for changing his mind. I think that's a, a good thing. You know what I'm saying? But, but again, I think they're doing it in kind of a deceptive way of, of making these pivots. And again, they're immediately plugging it into their, like, um, in my opinion, like this moronic, what, what our ancestors have done principle. Uh, that's what I call it here. And it, this, what our ancestors would have done is interesting, but it just doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't necessarily, uh, uh, is not totally applicable to what we're experiencing at this moment. And also couldn't we, we could possibly construct nutrition or a supplemental plan or, uh, an environment that is better than what our ancestors had, you know? So I just, I think the whole concept is bankrupt. And Paul is saying here that he's experimenting with honey you know it's like these no carb advocates <laughs> experiment with pure sugar basically you know it's like doesn't it's very odd and and again i'm sure he i mean he, i think he's saying as much but that he feels better doing that and uh but in this first clip he talks about how long t- his patients with long-term ketosis their blood sugar keeps creeping up over a long period of time this is something that happened to my friend lex rooker over, he would get yearly annu- uh, um, annuals, is that the right word? Um, checkups, but his blood sugar would creep up over time and his TSH would rise as well. And so this is something that's like totally known. If somebody just did a, like a little bit of research uh, into the low carb community and not acting like an Alice in Wonderland, like, oh my God, this is so fresh. Like the no carb and zero carb approach is not new. People have been doing it for a long time, way, way before 2008, 9 and 10. And I, I think the tendency of like the newer advocates was just to totally b- bypass everything. And maybe, maybe that's natural. Maybe it's a natural tendency to do that when you think you found something special or whatever. But there were like warning calls and, uh, and I don't know. I don't know what their prerogative is. You know, it just seems a little bit deceptive. Um, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I just, uh, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't jive. Anyways, where, where even what, what was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. OK, uh, could a pri- primary predominantly meat based diet be healthy? So, yeah, ground beef, I think is great, you know, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, liver, oysters. Uh, I just uh, I think, again, the, the issue that might come up over the long term is the, uh, the calcium amount to phosphorus. And this is even something Paul uh, linked on. I find this ETH. Yeah. So let me make this bigger. Too big. Okay. Stearns from uh, 1950. All protein rich foods are good sources of phosphorus. The amount of calcium in the diet should, uh, should equal or exceed the amount of phosphorus, which a ratio for calcium to phosphorus from one to 1.5. And so even a, like achieving a one-to-one ratio can be challenging for a lot of people, but just like a predominantly meat-based diet is going to give you tons of phosphorus. And then that's going to, um, and that's going to increase, uh, the parathyroid hormone, which really nobody argues is a good thing to have elevated. Is this going to break down your bones and mimic all the effects of aging in the long run. And so uh, I just can't think of any reason to have like to kind of frame things and how they're talking about the meat based diet specifically. And again, I want to be super clear. There are so many benefits to doing carnivore, avoiding 
hundreds of food allergens, avoiding uh, usually vegetable and seed oils. Um, uh, did I mention how many irritants the person is avoiding? <laughs> things like carrageenan, citric acid, gums, all the atrocious things is added to regular foods. Um, uh, getting enough protein. You know, I think it's fairly challenging for people to get enough protein and a carnivore diet makes it a lot simpler because it's limiting the foods a person is eating. So I think there's lots of good things. Again, I just think the, the framing is kind of silly. And so uh, did I actually answer your question? Again, that would be an interesting experiment, but I, I would plug in the, the pulse and temperature a la, to your your question, because it's not it's not I don't I wouldn't frame things like if you're just eating a diet because you're I think you're trying to go somewhere with it and you're trying to increase the 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 metabolic rate. And in fact, here's a paper. I got this from Tomo Littlewood, who is uh, I'm going to try to I should email him and have him on the stream. He's extremely intelligent. Um, but this is a Basigo paper. From 2007, they say few environmental factors have a larger influence on animal energetics than temperature. <laughs> uh, and then I quote this at all the time, but this is a Landsberg paper. And changes in the body temperature are associated with significant changes in the metabolic rate. Resting metabolic rate is largely regulated by the thyroid hormones. And I don't know if I'll be able to find this one, but. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, Mariotti. In 2008, they said it is well recognized that symptoms of aging uh, of aging can easily be confused with hypothyroidism. And the past and the past decreased thyroid function was believed to be one of the hallmarks of the aging process. So for anybody that's new or refresher or anything, I think the low metabolic rate is like synonymous with the advanced or accelerated aging. And I don't think any low carb or carnivore people would say they were not in it for the anti like so-called anti-aging effects, you know. Okay, another one from James. Uh, thanks for that question. Everything's still good. Um, looks good. Okay. Very, very, very hot. Maybe take a little milk break here. I tried to have a, a fan on, but it was this mic is so sensitive that it just picked it up wherever I had it. So, a fan. Okay, another one from James. He says, when you need to spend uh, more time indoors through the winter and cloudy days, uh, what kind of red light schedule do you follow? What red lights would you recommend? How high up is the red light therapy uh, health maintenance healing list of things to try? Red Light Man says not to use a red light more than 15 minutes at a time due to diminishing returns, uh, possibly due to no release and ROS, but it's not fully known. Do you agree with it? I, so I, red, light, red light is something I've used extensively. I don't have... Uh, I'd have to see what he was referencing. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Ray's point of view is that you could not, you basically could not get enough. And um, I think he mentioned as long as it wasn't overheating the person that it was okay to use basically all day. So that's how I always used them when I had two of them. Like if you look at my older YouTube videos, I have two lights shining down on me. And those are both clear bulbs, reflectors, but they're incandescent lights that have a red and orange spectrum. And so um, red light for no more than 15 minutes at a time. Dude. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't have a strong opinion on that. I, I don't have anything like that in my notes, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, and so, yeah, I, when I lived in Mexico and it was colder outside, I would go downstairs to my office and turn on the lights and sit at the computer. And so I just like keep them on all day. If it was hot, it would be way harder to keep them on. But I didn't have air conditioning in Mexico. And then uh, what red lights would you recommend? Um, 
Okay, I have a link here. So this is a brooder. You might want to buy it somewhere else other than Amazon. <laughs> and this is uh, the light. It's a, like a bulb bright 250 uh, heat lamp. So this stuff's extraordinarily cheap. I think both combined is like maybe 25, 30 bucks and you can get a few of them. They do take a lot of electricity. So that was, that was one of the problems I had in Mexico because um, <laughs> the, my landlords were like, what, what are you doing over there? I was, I was like cranking up the electricity really bad. And it was, it was in Mexico. Electricity is super expensive. Um, and then how high up is red light therapy on health maintenance healing list? I just consider it so basic, you know, it's like zero effort to implement. And so, and it can make a person feel good if, if they're in darkness chronically. I've told this story before, but uh, a lot of times w when I first moved to Mexico, I didn't have the lights for a year and I found myself like really missing them in the evening specifically. And so if I could have packed them, which I couldn't have, it would have been nice to have. And I was happy when I finally did get them there. Uh, MGA athlete. Uh, hey, he says, what does a typical day look for you? Just curious about how much time you spend indoors working, et cetera. What do you do outside of that? Um, I, I often like describe myself as like an 80 year old and a, a 34 year old or almost 35 year old body. Um, so I've been working a lot more as you might, might be able to tell, uh, but I wake up and do a Skype shortly after I wake up and try to eat something when I wake up, obviously. Uh, then uh, sometimes I've been having another Skype in the afternoon, and then sometimes I've been having one in the evening as well. Uh, my, what my life looked like in Mexico is different than here because my girlfriend's here, and so she'll inevitably want to do something or go on a walk or something. And so, I don't know, it's pretty boring. Like answering email, uh, which is a lot, well, it takes up a lot of my time. Trying to keep up with comments, as I, and I think that's important to do. Um, what else? Taking walks, even though I'm in Chiang Mai right now, and the pollu the pollution pollution kills the novelty of walks, and so that is something that's been a chronically a bummer about being here. Um, and and then when I we were in another town called Peachet, and they had a saltwater pool, and it was like the greatest thing ever. And so I would usually lay out at like two p.m. every day for an hour. <laughs> and uh, like swim in that pool. And so that was uh, pretty great. Um, am I skipping anything? Yeah, Skype, email, uh, preparing these things, which is like a little bit, not this one's not that much work because I'm just reading questions, but thinking of what we're going to talk about with Ray on Friday, because uh, we've gone through many things. So trying to be like original and bringing up original questions and things like that. So that is slightly challenging, uh, but yeah. Okay. Thank you for the question. Uh, Dylan Morrison, if uh, many undercooked vegetables increase bacterial endotoxin, how does eating undercooked carrots daily lower bacterial endotoxin? Uh, what makes excuse me, carrots so special? Lastly, what other vegetables be beneficial or at least not harmful to eat raw? Uh, so I haven't done, I know there are papers about this. I have them in my notes, but I haven't like, uh, I'm not super fresh on them. So my understanding is that the carrot is very absorptive. And if you just dry, if you shred the carrot and dry it and then put like dressing or some kind of oil on it, you'll see that in real time that it will absorb the oil. Um, 
I and and I think Ray's what he's talked about with carrots is they they need like antifungal and antibacterial defense because of just the the way they are living underground basically. And so I think that was the special aspect about carrots. And also the if you put a carrot out on a uh, a countertop in a bag of spinach, like the spin the spin or the spinach in general, like the spinach is going to go bad very quickly, whereas the carrot will not. And I think that speaks to the anti bacterial antifungal properties of the carrot lastly what other vegetables would be beneficial or at least not harmful to your raw i i can't think of any off the top of my head does the chat know of any um okay i i, I honestly can't think of any off the top of my head i'll keep thinking uh, did I answer all your questions? Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Dylan. You're the man. Okay, Sven A. Uh, in European countries, it is hard to get antibiotics from your doctor. If you were to attempt to extract <laughs> antibiotics from your MD, what would you say slash do to obtain your goal? I.e. disease condition would claim to have. So, so I don't know the legality that we're dipping into here. Um uh, so in my experience, doctors typically don't not, I, I think they don't mind prescribing antibiotics. And so, uh, I'm open to being wrong on that, but they, I think they liberally, uh, prescribe them. And so if you said you had diarrhea for two weeks, like I, your doctor would be negligent not to prescribe you antibiotics. And, um, so that that's not the the hard part. The the normally the difficult part is convincing a doctor to order you specific tests. And so for that, for like P, the parathyroid hormone or prolactin, I've talked to dozens of people that were uh, the doctor rejected those requests. And I think a way around that is to say maybe it's true. You have like a history of osteoporosis in your in your family, and then a doctor it would you'd have to be like or he or she have you have to be a terrible doctor and not to order those specific tests if you mention that and so it's just like contextualizing your problem around the tests that you want the doctor to order and then like in over like uh, aside from antibiotics yeah like it, it will probably be extremely challenging depending on the specific doctor to get something that you wanted that they weren't comfortable with you know and so that's why in like 2011, uh, I, I've told this story a hundred times, but like I, I probably saw like over 30 doctors, you know, and some of them like orthomolecular doctors, very fancy. One cost, I think, like uh, over a thousand dollars to just sit down with. And he we I, and I also paid for labs, you know, and I sat down with him for like 20 minutes. He told me nothing I didn't know and was like an asshole too. And so that like the, I had accumulated so many of those exper experiences that I was really, especially Ray's kind of do it yourself approach. I was uh, really not. And also getting the lab tests on your own, because in California you could order lab tests in like starting in 2009 or something. All that stuff culminated into me uh, unless I, something terrible happens to me. Um, at meaning that I get like hit by a car or something. I don't think I'm going to go to a doctor anytime soon. Okay. Nathaniel Hill, another question, Danny, given the centrality of carbon dioxide in the repeat health paradigm, to the extent that people will prescribe things like bag breathing in an attempt to increase carbon dioxide concentration, 
uh, in the blood and tissues, is it reasonable to believe that carbonated beverages provide some, if marginal, health benefit uh, for the same reason? So I haven't like extensively dug into this. My impression always was that it was acute and not not meaningful. Um, I'm open to being wrong on that, but uh, I I didn't think it was uh, in terms of increasing the the carbon dioxide. I didn't think it was that meaningful. Uh, oh, this minute. Could you guys you guys couldn't see my Evernote? Probably could you? Shit. Okay, sorry, I had this set up wrong. Okay, well, now I know. Okay. Uh, okay, yeah. My, my, my understanding was that it was an inc- acute increase in carbon dioxide, but not enough to really, uh, I, I guess, move the needle in a significant way. Could, could be wrong. I would need to honestly read about it more. Magpie Gold, I have no question for live stream. However, I'd like to thank you, Hayda, and Ray Pete for invaluable content for you guys produce. It would help me a lot for many years experience. Experience joint inflammation after eating. This is now re- reversed completely with means that I, I don't have this issue anymore. I'm taking thyroid eating PD and it's working perfectly. Uh, thanks for that, Magpie. Uh, Sven A says, what is the alternative for sunblock and after being fried by the sun? Sunburn. <laughs> um... I think my, my buddy Cliff, who is a surfer, zinc oxide sunblock. So I've never, I've never used these. Uh, I'm sure you could find some hippie one that didn't have a lot of additives, but I think this is probably, uh, this, this is just one that I know of off the top of my head that's probably safe. And then I think coconut oil has a, a, a low SPF. And then also the one other thing I'll, I'll say is um, I... Uh, I, I think the removal of polyunsaturated fats or decreasing them significantly helps with sunburn. And then another thing I've read is that the vitamin D level. So if you maintain a higher vitamin D level, I think you can be more resistant to sunburn. And so I think it's a few different things. Thank you for that, Sven. Uh, Michael uh, McCall says, in male pattern baldness, Ray once mentioned brain temperature affects the baldness pattern, uh, brain keeping different areas cooler. What causes the temperature difference in bold people versus people with hair? Is this due to overactive frontal lobes inhibitory behavior? Perhaps a history of trauma and developing learned helplessness? How can we determine the correct functioning and temperature of a healthy brain? So this is a great question. I just don't think these things have been uh, necessarily explored. You know, this is the question I posed to Ray on our last uh, live stream. And in his typical fashion, I think he was trying to broaden the perspective than like a simple mechanistic, like this, this area cold, therefore hair loss. Like, um, like he's written me like really kind of like poetic ways of Uh, talking about baldness being the result of uh, authoritarianism and serotonin, which is, of course, like kind of the cultural MO. Uh, And so I think he has like a grandiose kind of uh, view of it, but then he'll answer like people in emails, like very straightforward. So I think it's just what kind of um, like maybe the mood you catch him in. Um, So uh, there is that paper, uh, the white matter. uh, This is the paper. I did. Can you guys see this? And now you should be able to. Oh, my God. So hot. Um, this is the paper in 2019 that talked about the white matter hyperintensities uh, that was related to pattern baldness. They say androgenic alopecia may be regarded as a surrogate marker for asymptom- asymptomatic white matter hyperintensities, which is related to arteriosclerosis uh, arterio- and vascular risk factors that has significant impact on people's life. And it turns out like para- high parathyroid hormone can cause these white matter hyperintensities like spots in the brain to appear. 
Um, and so just the interconnectedness of the entire system. Uh, but as for like the, what's specifically happening in the different brain regions of pattern boldness, like I'm still uh, slightly mystified by what, what precisely is happening. You know, Ray talking about those frontal lobes being cooler um, and that being the most like evolutionarily advanced part of the brain. <laughs> um, and so, again, and one other thing is like in that one of the videos I made about the brain idea is like the cerebral cortex. Maybe that has something to do with like field theory, you know, of the of the uh, nothing has a private independent field and everything's affecting everything else. So, yeah, I think this is what kind of stopped me dead in my tracks of trying to finish the book, because I just feel like this question is this is the the huge, big question. And. Again, I could be wrong. Maybe there's some research that I'm not aware of, but it just doesn't seem like answerable in a solid uh, way right now. And so I think that a lot of like the pieces are there and a person could move forward and improve things. But it's just um, precisely how how it's going down is a little bit of a mystery to me. Uh, thank you, Michael. Sincerely appreciate that. Uh, Jack Kelly. Hey, brother. He says metabolism and time perception when my me metabolic rate was at its lowest, everything, is everything okay in the chat? Oh, and yeah, I just read this in the comment. But I, I know the reason why the thyroid function is important and things like protein and salt and progesterone, those all increase the, the temperature. And so I think those are among the first line therapy for hair loss, but just wanted to add that in. Somebody jogged my memory in the chat here. Retain the semen. Okay. Uh, that was a comment. Okay. Um... Jack Kelly, again, his metabolism and time perception. Uh, when my metabolic rate was at its lowest, everything felt like it took forever. Work days, chores, even shopping at the supermarket seemed like a long drawn out task. Uh, but as my metabolic rate improved, I feel happier while weeks and even months seem to fly by. My question is, is there a link between individuals, individuals metabolic rate and the way uh, they perceive time itself? So I've done zero research into this, but I totally uh, have noticed that for what it's worth. You know, when I used to work at Apple, t time would seem like it was at a standstill. <laughs> and uh, I worked at like the Genius Bar and would help people. And I would just like uh, be dreading like every minute of my shift. And uh, but I started experimenting with Ray, Ray's stuff when I worked there. And I noticed uh, very quickly that it did seem to like uh, just seemed like time was like kind of speeding up and uh and then somebody on that old website the old the other repeat forum that is defunct now uh they, somebody put a, a message in there saying that like when you're a kid things are so uh oh this is actually the opposite is somebody mentioned things seem really slow when you're a kid and speed up when you're an adult okay so that maybe the slowness Okay, I just made it a case for the reverse, but the childhood, usually the MO of childhood is that everything is moving very slowly, and then adults notice that time flies. Hmm. So maybe the slowness is the good metabolism. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting what the chat says, if you guys uh, have an opinion on that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But I, I, I've definitely noticed similar things. Maybe, maybe it's the perception of what's happening. Maybe that's the, that's the key in the metabolic state uh, tied to the perception of whether you're enjoying something or really not enjoying it. I don't know. That's a, that's a good one. I think I just de debunked myself. 
Okay, AJ, they say, uh, what things have you noticed about yourself compared to your friend's family? Like Pete, for example, his skin looks uh, much better than others around his age. Well, one, I'm like 108 degrees in this Chiang uh, Mai kitchen. No AC. That's something I've noticed about myself. Um, I don't think I'm some amazing specimen. I, I this All this work here that I do, I think, is more... Uh, not that I don't enjoy it, but it's like nobody at the moment, few, very few people are kind of progressing Ray Pete's work as an avenue for healing serious problems. And so I kind of feel it like um, incumbent to, is that the right word, <laughs> to do that because um, I have no reason not to. And so again, I wouldn't stress that I'm some amazing specimen or anything. But I, I, I mentioned this in an interview a long time ago, but like, it's going to be hard to do this. Like, uh, I, I basically have very little, if any, like lipofuscin on the back of my arm. And my uh, whole family, my two sisters, my dad and my mom, like probably two or three years ago, we were all on Laguna Beach. And uh, they all had like really serious browning on the back of their arms. And so that was something I noticed just like physically that was different. Um, and again, I don't think I'm some amazing specimen or critical thinker or anything, but I, I do notice that it's, uh, among the people that I've known for a long time, like, uh, holding an idea without accepting it is the rarity. And, uh, so I, I would think of those like mental processes, processes or whatever, how you, how you, however you say it as being maybe a sign of aging, you know? And so when a person really can't tolerate uh, an idea or, or something like that, I think that is uh, they're kind of showing their their physiological hand. And so uh, I do think that is important, but I guess it's more like subjective. Um, but but and, and again, I want to stress that I found myself in that situation many times of being very rigid, like needing to win, needing to like uh, intellectually like dominate a person or whatever in conversation. And I just don't think, I don't think that's like necessarily a uh, healthy sign. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that, AJ. Um, uh, Mart Martaza says, in your opinion, is vitamin K, calcium, vitamin D, aspirin, and progesterone enough to stop hair fall on 22? So I think probably just like a good nutrition with oysters and liver and enough calcium and maybe getting the vitamin D level up would be a, a really great start to that. Seamoy uh, says, is free-dried coffee, freeze-dried coffee as high with magnesium and antioxidants as regular hot coffee? I'm not sure about that, but while we're on the topic, topic, um, let me, I posted this to somebody. There was some debate on whether coffee was a source of magnesium. And then this paper is a good example that it definitely is. Uh, but they talk about filtered coffee, 60 grams per liter had 70 in this Finland study that had, uh, can you guys see this right? Okay. Uh, had 70, 73 to 80 milligrams of uh, um, magnesium. And then the other one had 110 to 120. And uh, so again, I, somebody on Twitter was like mocking the idea that, uh, coffee was a source of magnesium. Also, there's zero calories in coffee. And, uh, one other thing, if you guys can see my Evernote, which you can. So th those values are very close to what Ray said in 2014, which he said, dry instant coffee is close to 0.5% magnesium. So a cup of strong coffee has about 40 milligrams. I make strong drip coffee. 
And so that was the other thing. If you go to like chronometer and you type in the coffee and see how much magnesium it has, it's not a strong cup of coffee. And so that paper was talking about uh, 60, uh, 60 milligrams per liter. But I'm pretty sure if you Ray said he uses half a cup of grinds per two cups of coffee. And I think if you I could be a little off on the math here, but I think it's like that means it's like 40 grams per cup of coffee. And so that's close to this liter of coffee. And so he makes super, super, or oh, losing sound here, uh, super strong uh, coffee. Okay. Okay, good stuff. Um, very, very hot. Um, back to the questions. Um, Maurice says, Danny, could you summarize uh, your life for us? <laughs> what drove you, drives you, and what's your current status? Um, just lost a lot of sun. Can you guys still see me? Okay. Um, I, I feel like I've been going over this for the uh, last few minutes, so I don't want to be, be redundant. Um, I th think Ray's onto something, you know, and uh, I, there's like a quote that he's said a few times, like you, these ideas, they won't keep, you have to do something about them. And so uh, I guess it's something that I've consistently been very interested in and it doesn't get old, you know, and, uh, and I feel like I've accumulated uh, enough experiences, you know, to, um, maybe throw out uh, ideas that might help other people, you know? And, and so, yeah, many different things. I find it fascinating. Uh, it kind of encapsulates my experiences in life in general. And I find Ray to be kind of this endlessly fascinating person. I find the people that he talks about to be endlessly fascinating from Warburg to St. Georgie to Fuller to Bernaski, his like cast of characters that he talks about often. And uh, I don't know, it just hasn't gotten old yet. You know, I know they they have that saying, it's like uh, pay somebody to do what they love and then they'll hate it or something like that. And that hasn't happened. It's happened at periods of time. Like I felt fallen out of love with nutrition and, and science and stuff. But I think that more spoke to about what was happening with me rather than the actual uh, interest uh, itself. And so, uh, yeah, still interested in it, still have questions that I need answers to. And, uh, yeah, so I appreciate that. Thanks, Maurice. Josh says, is methylene... Let's do a little quick milk break here. We'll check on the chat. Okay. Thanks for hanging out, guys. Give this episode a like if you're enjoying it. That really helps me. I know it sounds lame, <laughs> but uh, uh, it just kind of supports these streams and lets people know that you guys are engaged, you know, and leaving a comment is also helpful. And so I appreciate that. Uh, Georgie and Ray Pete this Friday. I know this stream is on a odd day, but it was because when I woke up to do this stream the first time and the kitchen was this hot, I, I was like, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I'll always put the questions like a week ahead of time for my solo streams. And the schedule right now is like a Georgie stream, the the um, solo stream, and then a repeat Georgie stream. And then I'll, I'll obviously try to mix it up with more people. Um, 
But yeah, I feel like I've talked to a lot of people in like the Ray Pete world. But Tomo Littlewood is somebody I'd like to talk to. Okay. Um, Josh says, is methylene blue plus red light a, a good thing on a regular basis or only for specific circumstances like catching the flu? So Georgie has written a lot on that, that combination being really useful. I've, I've only used methylene blue like a handful of times. And it's just, uh, I have like an aversion to like extremely messy things. And so that uh, would just get everywhere. The methylene blue, maybe I'm like an idiot when using it or something, but um, I, I think I only use it probably like maximum 10 times or so. And so, so a lot of people listening to this probably have more experience with it than I do. And red light is something I would sit under all the time in Mexico. Uh, and then I, whenever I have a chance, I try to lay out, uh, just get normal sun here. Um, but I don't, I'm sure the paper that Georgie, I think there were maybe one, a few papers or maybe one, uh, they talked about, uh, it's probably just being beneficial for lowering nitric oxide. But yeah, it'd probably be useful for catching a flu as well. Sorry, I can't be more helpful, Josh, but I appreciate it. Uh, ben Band says, where do you see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> Honestly, I have uh, no idea. Hopefully, I'll be vaccine-free. Um, I will not have a, a, a bite by a killer mosquito by Bill Gates. Uh, man, and that's, that's such a crazy question. You know, given how fast things are escalating in uh, six months, you know, what is 10 years going to look like? That's uh, crazy. So honestly, I don't know. Ho hopefully somewhere uh, in an EMF proof house uh, with uh, uh, available light and I can still go to the store and buy milk, but we'll see. Good stuff. Uh, grade employment says if one has a weekly weekly supply of oysters canned, is it better to eat them all at once and uh, seeding or rather distribute them evenly throughout the week? I don't have a good answer to this question. I did hit up Ray on one of our interviews and I asked him, I was like, does the body need something like uh, every day? He said no. And then I think when he was asked, he said that due to the preparation of those things, like uh, I'm sure he, I don't know, we could ask him. I, I, don't, I don't specifically know how he prepares his oysters and, and things, but I imagine he probably gets rid of the oil if he's using the um, ones in canned olive oil, which I think he is. Um, so I don't know specifically. Um, it's better to eat them all at once in the sitting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good answer to this question. For what it's worth, I'll have uh, maybe one or two cans a week. But I'm always since like 2016, I've always had to ration them because I've just never had regular access to them for since 2016. And so, um, yeah, good question. I'm I'm not sure what the if it would be harmful to eat all them all at once but i doubt it whatever is long term uh, viable in the long term would probably be the right answer to that question katie says uh, i thought of another one danny also certain hormones or balance them responsible for being social or extroverted since hypothyroidism started i'm such an introvert but the summer months with more sun definitely not as bad thank you for being on youtube and your videos talks have been such a huge help uh, thanks, Katie. I thought of another one as certain hormones or the balance. So again, not something I've extensively researched my own experience. You know, I think I'm like a 
been a very shy person for a very long time, you know, and I think do it, it's experimenting with the things that Ray has talked about. Um, it's made it easier. Like, so if you had told me 10 years ago that I would do live streams and talk to like people I don't know on Skype every day, that would be terrifying to me, you know, it will not well, maybe if you go a few years more than 10 years, but, uh, but that seems very natural to me now. Maybe it's just the experience. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I think openness and novelty and communication and, and, and listening to a person talk rather than like always interjecting and always just liking to hear your, yourself talk. I, I think all those things relate to the hormones, you know, but to, to say specifically which hormone does what I'm, it would, I couldn't speak intelligently about it. Great question, Katie. Thank you. Um, Sarah uh, PK, do you have any idea what could be the reason that the temperature just after waking up is about 36.5 to 6 and later it rises to 37, but my pulse is around 75? Uh, are you eating after you wake up and that rises, and the, but your pulse stays the same? I, need more, I think I need more information on this one. Uh, about 36, because... Uh, and also the person's age and what symptoms they were experiencing. So Sarah, I doubt you're in the chat, but I will check it out. Okay, uh, guys, my voice isn't dropping off when I'm lowering the volume. Uh, let me know because uh, I was having some issues with the noise gate, but I think it might be okay. Okay. Seamoy says, if someone was adamant about having a little peanut butter a day to maintain, maintain calories because they enjoyed the taste, what can one do to balance that safely? Okay, just out of curiosity. Uh, um, oh, shit, I might have to sign in. Okay, let's just do a tablespoon. Of peanut butter. I'm going to look for uh, just to see what the nutrition is because I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, what is that nutrition data? So one cup change to, okay, two tablespoons. Zoom in. Very hot. Very, very hot. 7.7 7 divided by two. So three point, uh, so apparently according to this, uh, one tablespoon of peanut butter has about 3.85 grams of hufa. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think it just seriously depends how convinced a person is that that's something you'd want to avoid. You know, I don't think anybody knows the exact amount of polyunsaturated fat a person wants to eat, uh, every day, but this is a back and forth with somebody and 
and uh, and he was asking Ray is famous for kind of keeping it, the polyunsaturated fat intake to around four grams. And this this doesn't even take into account what a person. So say they immediately switch their nutrition today. Like what were they eating the last four years? <laughs> and so that's that's the biggest rub, like what is composed of the person's uh, fat tissue. But uh, so this was a person's back and forth with Ray. And they say um, they say he, he quotes him from an interview. And Ray says there were lots of experiments with different oils, all similar to Clarence IPs. And he says a variety of studies showed that the proportion that's effective is consistent across species and that based on body weight, I don't uh, think there is a threshold, but there's some uh, there's. But that's where the statistics have shown a distinct linear increase in uh, increase beginning. I'm confident that two grams would also contribute to the development of cancer, but with lower uh, lower probability. So that's Ray in 2018. And I think I grabbed this off the Ray Peep forum because uh, there's occasionally good stuff on there. Um, so, again, I uh, if you were convinced that uh, accumulating polyunsaturated fats was not something uh, that was serving you, uh, one tablespoon of peanut butter could get you basically to four grams. And it depends how how. Um, I, I, I don't know, I, I guess the how convinced a person was that those were harmful. And so for, for myself, I think of my life as a big science experiment. I, uh, I think there's value in avoiding them. It's not it's not very difficult. You know, I think all the foods I naturally like are contain low polyunsaturated fats. And then uh, for what it's worth, you know, the people I talk to uh, and then examining my older nutrition it's so it, the the polyunsaturated fats are like through the roof, you know. It's like twenty or thirty grams, fifty grams. One person was eating like a, over a hundred grams per day on like a, a kind of a plant based keto diet, and so you just easily see how it could accumulate uh, a lot. And then, and, and then I don't think that's the panacea or anything to just avoid the fats. It's just one of the things intensifying the stress response. Okay. Um, checking out the chat real fast. Looks good. Okay. Thanks for that, Simoy. Appreciate it. Uh, it's, I, just to answer your question, like, I, I don't know if it could be mitigated. Um, I don't know. Like, people are going to think I'm nuts suggesting this, but maybe vitamin E or aspirin, like, maybe those would be protective in some way, but I think it'd be probably just doing more, more harm than good. Um, Okay, AP says, specific question that I haven't seen covered anywhere, but I've, uh, I've come across numerous studies showing that people with any type of thalassemia have lower cholesterol. Apparently, the high red blood cell proliferation consumes a lot of cholesterol, leaving a few of us with very protective, very few protective steroids, no matter how much sweet fruit daily we take in. Any thoughts? So I, if this was the same person that asked me about this last time, I know almost nothing about this condition. Um, but low cholesterol in general, in my limited experience, seems to always be related to a person's intestine. So I've, I've talked to at least like three people that took antibiotics and their cholesterol shot up after trying the normal things, uh, like drinking more juice and, and things like that, eating more calcium. I think the parathyroid hormone has something to do with cholesterol synthesis. Um, so if those things didn't work and there was chronic diarrhea or gas or and the carrot salad and 
white button mushrooms didn't work. Maybe uh, getting a safe antibiotic would work. But I, I couldn't speak to this specifically. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, AP. Thanks for the question, though. Another one's from Sven. He says, what is the amount in different types of androgens in lamb, calf, and goat heart? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I know there are androgens in those foods, but, um, or the heart specifically, but I, I don't know. Uh, John Louis says, thoughts on scalp tension mediated inflammation causing uh, fibrosis calcification? Uh, I mean, I have uh, both of uh, uh, Rob English's papers here. My general, I've, I apologize if I'm boring people here because I know I've talked about this, but I, I think he seems like a really smart guy. I just think this is kind of the shoehorn approach of trying to like save the genetic androgen hypothesis. And so I'm just, for what it's worth, just completely disinterested in trying to like save this, save this theory that I think is nonsense. And so he plugs in his, his theory of uh, scalp tension or whatever to this this uh idea and so i go over it in the um i talk a little bit about it more in the um uh finaster if you type in like uh i was wrong about finasteride roddy into youtube that video but uh yeah i just uh i'm not against uh some uh anatomy or anatomical changes in the scalp and head and and um structure of the body and aging I'm not so convinced that the changing of the structure is specifically related to pattern boldness. And I could be wrong. I haven't seen anything that convinced me, and I'm definitely not convinced by uh, what th these papers on the subject. Uh, okay, David Graham says, any info on how to treat uh, Elhurst Adelos? So I don't know what this is. Oh, okay. I, I have zero idea. I didn't know this was a. Um, didn't have a, this had a name. Okay, good stuff. Thanks for that, David. Sorry, couldn't be more help. Uh, Nathaniel Hill says, "Do you think uh, ox, ox acetate could have some supplemental value for the purpose of inhibiting fatty acid synthesis?" And so, before the stream, I briefly searched my notes for this. Um, maybe we could ask this question to Georgie or Kyle Mamunis. Um, I, I feel like Kyle said something about this in one of our streams. I just couldn't find it before we jumped on here. And so this is a, gr this is a great question, Nathaniel. I'm just, uh, not, uh, equipped to answer it at the moment. I'd have to dig into my notes more. Uh, good stuff. And he says, thanks for all your work, man. It's been valuable to me and your family, uh, me and my family. Uh, thanks, Nathaniel. Very hot. Okay. Okay, Thorsten Weber says, a possible way to reverse high myopia naturally. You guys are hitting me with a lot of questions. I have no idea. Um, I don't know, like, Ray has the article about eyesight. Aging eyes. See what Ray has to say. Uh, I know he says that he, when he, like, moved to altitude, his my, I think his myopia... Um, Decrease quote. Mr. Repeat. My. Oh, yeah. Um. So in this article on serotonin, 
he says, um, Uh, I can't. <laughs> my my Evernote is acting a little bit uh, funky. Just a second. My uh... oh, here it is. Okay, I don't think I don't think you guys can see this. Um, uh, animals kept in the darkness or with blurring lenses become nearsighted as the eyeball grows longer under the influence of increased serotonin, and the eyes are protected against myopia from serotonin antagonists. The incidence of myopia, uh, myopia is increasing, at least in the countries with industrialized economies, and is more common in females. And he quotes a paper by George. Um, that's something about parathyroidism. Okay, so apparently Ray has written about it in relation to serotonin. I just I never looked into it. So great question, uh, Th- uh, Thorsten, but uh, I don't know. Marcelo, uh, God bless you. Thanks. Thank you for that. Uh, ben Brosh says, how do you react when somebody trashes milk, sugar, salt, SFA, uh, et cetera, around you? Do you think it's worth it to try and spread the message on a personal level to family slash friends or even or uh, not even bother? Um, so I think when I'm at my best, you know, uh, so, something I <laughs> did learn, you know, is to try to let the if, if a person is talking about something and they like clearly have like, no idea what they're talking about, you know, it's just like you ask them, you probe more and eventually they just hang themselves. And, and so that would ha- come. My friend Charlie had like a big dinner table and that would happen like fairly frequently around that dinner table. And so it's like, you don't have to, again, like show, I'm just talking about myself here. You don't have to like try to show some like dominant understanding of a topic. You can just let the person kind of hang themselves. If you just ask questions, like uh, I think one time we were talking about like greenhouse gases or whatever. And uh, we were talking about it and I was like, uh, wait, 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 can we just get on the same page here? Like what are the greenhouse gases? <laughs> and the person like couldn't answer that. And so it just like made the whole thing a moot point. And so it, but if I had like gone down that road with them, it would have been totally not productive and just like, it would have been stupid on my end to like go there with them. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I my, since I left the U S my interaction with a lot of like my friend circles, is just like way different. Cause it's like real, like writing pen pals and stuff. Um, not pen pals, but you're good friends. And so I don't encounter lots of people that have like uh, like a real bad attitude about um, milk or sugar or whatever. But I do. I get emails and stuff, but it's, it's of course, it's different. OK, uh, uh, Logan, I think. Yeah. OK. Uh, thanks for the question, Ben. Appreciate it. Uh, Logan says, I have a question about pregnenolone steel. I took an oral pregnenolone supplement, the MRM brand capsule, uh, to experiment with increased progesterone. In the past, I've taken a topical progesterone directly. The long, the long, I think the, she had a really bad period upon taking the MRM pregnenolone. Then she started using progestine from Georgie and um, it helped a lot. 
excuse me, and I think the, she goes, finally, after five days of bleeding stopped after a month, I'm still using 11 drops of progestine in the morning and evening and feel way better. But I'm confused about how my body reacted to the oral pregnenolone. Obviously, my body did not make proge- uh, progesterone from the pregnenolone. What happened? So with, without having any possible way of knowing what happened, I would just say that use this as a launching off point for talking about how poor the quality of most supplements is. And so she, she had like a off the handle response to this MRM brand, you know, and I just, I think that could happen from like any, just like random bottle of uh, some allegedly safe hormone, you know? And so maybe the, it caused a more intestinal irritation or something and caused like a really bad response. And so again, I think this is just the reason to be, extremely judicious with supplements there's lots of incompetence in the supplement industry and i think you just have to know what you're getting and even if you are getting something like the vitamin d from carlson or whatever is like a relatively good product but i still use that on my like there's nothing in that product that's like whoa this is really risky to take orally but i'll still use it on my skin just because i notice zero intestinal problems when using it that way and so, uh, so yeah, just the kind of, um, uh, the nature of how people like randomly include supplements in their nutrition and stuff, I think it's pretty risky. And so I think one of the ideas is just to use as few supplements as possible uh, that you can get away with, because, uh, I think they usually cause more problems than they solve aside from like a select few. Okay. Good stuff. Uh, let's check on the chat here. Looks good. Okay, it's uh, not as hot when we started. So I think my 83% chance of passing out has been lowered to about a 47% chance of passing out. Okay, so this is Chuck. He says, do you believe uh, in an upper limit on calories and how many calories do you personally average per day if it hasn't been asked already? Oh, me. Yes, much gratitude, as always, for your work. Uh, thank you, Chuck. Um, so I, uh, t- for what it's worth, you know, nobody has to copy me on doing anything. I never really think about calories. I'm thinking about, like, trying to get the, my base amount of protein and an uh, adequate amount of carbohydrate, and then fat is kind of the most expendable, to me, macronutrient. And so uh, when I am thinking throughout the day, I'm thinking of like, did I drink enough milk and eat some ground beef or or cheese or something to equal, I don't know, like 120 grams of protein per day. And that's, that's the thing I'm thinking about, but I'm not thinking about total amount of calories or something. If I was a bodybuilder or something, maybe I I would think about that, but I'm not, so I don't. (laughs) And, um, so it'd be interesting if I tallied up my uh, daily intake of food, but I just I haven't done that for a very long time. And so uh, I'm not necessarily I'm not explicitly against that or anything like if a person can't eyeball their food and uh, generally like I guess I get maybe around t- twenty five hundred calories per day, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more. But uh, but again, I don't I'd have to tally it, you know. Uh. And it, do I believe there's an upper limit of calories? Uh, 
Yeah, this is like slightly confusing to me because Ray always has that story about how he needed like a, a, a like a huge amount of calories when he was low thyroid. But then when he started taking thyroid, he needed a lot less. And so it was because of like the efficiency of his metabolism. And so uh, he's talked about that a few times. Um, the, the only other thing I would throw out is like uh, Han Sellier. Uh, I'm looking for a quote by him where he says that uh, like a loss of appetite or maybe it's oh yeah here it is okay Celia says the, the gastrointestinal tract is particularly sensitive to general stress loss of appetite is one of the first symptoms and the great syndrome of just being sick and this may be accompanied by vomiting diarrhea or constipation and so that uh, sticks out to me because I think your appetite can be like one of those signs of um, uh, the m- metabolic rate, especially in the morning. And so if a person is not hungry in the morning, uh, usually has like a rough night. Uh, and I think that can be a sign of high stress. And then they're typically more hungry in the evening. And so I know this is not specifically Chuck's question, but I, I think trying to lose the appetite, like a lot of people say, is totally bizarre. And it just goes, it fits in with that idea of slowing the system down, um, which I made a, old, a video about comparing the bioenergetic and the kind of low carb or pseudo, oh, pseudo hibernation like model that the low carb and carnivore people kind of um, subconsciously follow. Uh, Jackbug says, do you recommend weights? Do you, uh, does it keep free, uh, free fatty acids low? Um, I mean, it'd probably be good to do. Not my expertise. Uh, does it keep free fatty acids low? I think instead of like uh, breathless exercise, yeah, and you can breathe through your your nose. Rob Turner is somebody to check out. A functional performance systems like that. That's I would go to him if I was seeking exercise information. Or Nicholas Simpson. They know a lot more about that topic than I do. Uh, and then Ray also talked about. I don't fully understand it, but like the large skeletal muscles being a sink for free fatty acids and, and producing testosterone in and of themselves, I think. Johnny Mojo says, you've, you've mentioned that you, you use topicals, but you use them on your lower legs. What's the reasoning behind that rather than your mid to upper body? And so just for myself, I found my knee to my ankle to be the, just the easiest spot to apply like the progesterone and DHEA and also uh, vitamin, uh, vitamins D and K, not at the same time. Um, and so... I, I do something kind of strange, but I'll, if the progesterone and DHA, I'll wrap it with my leg with plastic wrap so it doesn't get all over my bed. And uh, that's just a place I can get away with using it that has lots of sur- relatively uh, lots of surface area. And I can uh, it doesn't bother me. So uh, if I were to like wrap my arm or something or another part of my body, it would just be really very annoying. And so that's just uh, what I found works. Um, but vitamin D and K, I'll just put such a small amount on that they, it's really dry. But progesterone is very sticky, and so uh, you have to wrap it with something or it'll just get everywhere. Okay. Okay, we'll probably go for 15 more minutes, and then I'll answer the, if there are any, I don't even know, super chats. Um, and then I'll get out of here. Matt Uncertified says, hi, Danny. I'm interested to know. Uh, OK, let me take a little break here. You guys, if you like this episode, sincerely uh, appreciate it. That helps me a lot. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you for hanging out in the chat. 
You guys are amazing. Next week, Raymond, Pete, and Georgie Dinkov on Friday at, I think it's going to be like 6.30, I think. Uh, subscribe if you're new, and that should be it. Yeah, hit the like button if you enjoyed it. I see once again that my bot did not work. I don't understand why it never works. And then if you want to ask a super chat, this would be the time and all proceeds fund this show. So thank you guys. Um, okay. Uh, Matt, uncertified. Hey, Danny, I'm interested to know your thoughts on the so-called latest studies and theories go some way to proving warward cancer theories around sugars and glucose, taking it further than another piece in the puzzle being lactate being a catalyst that triggers effects on cancer mutated cells to continue the cancer forming process. I read this in the What Doctors Don't uh, Tell You magazine, um, have emailed you the article, and as relative newcomer to the RP type approach and from mainly low carb and sometimes keto recent past, I do still struggle with the concept of sugar being okay. Thanks, Matt W. Um, I really should have read the second part. Uh, I, re- I replied to Matt and, and told him that uh, the... I'm going to do a bad job summarizing Warburg's work, but from what I understand, uh, there's, he found that cancer cells had a respiratory defect that caused them to, uh, even in the presence of oxygen, they would make lactic acid. And so that's called aerobic glycolysis. And uh, so Ray has done a lot of work on pyruvate dehydrogenase, which is also called like the link reaction, linking glycolysis to the Krebs cycle and electron transport chain. And so apparently in cancer cells, this is uh, inhibited. And then keto and low carb people are not shy about saying it's it's very it's very hard to like understand where they're coming from, because um, like Finney, I forgot one of the major ones, the Finney or whatever. Uh, I think in his one of his exercise things, he says that the free fatty acids inhibit the pyruvate dehydrogenase and like it's not even controversial. And so it's, it's again, it's like to, two totally different views. And uh, like Dominic Diagosino has a paper with Siegfried, I think his name is. And the paper is like really good until they get to like kind of the, the keto aspects of it. And then it just like starts going into like nonsense territory, in, in my opinion. And so, uh, so something just simple to hang your hat on is like fructose, I think, activates pyruvate dehydrogenase. And so that can uh, um, restore the respiration that has been blocked by the, the PUFA and the free fatty acids. And um, so am I answering this question? I think saturated fats to a, a lesser degree also activate it. And then there's a drug. I totally forget the name of the drug. It's uh, I'm sure I could search through and eventually find it. But there's a drug that like activates pyruvate dehydrogenase. And it's like a, a drug that was being researched for cancer or has come out. I don't I don't remember. Um, so and the, the whole other aspect that the keto people just don't not they're not purposely not talking about it, but they just don't address it all is raise profound emphasis on carbon dioxide. And so I think this fills in uh, like I'm, I'm going to try to get him to talk about it on Friday, but it's a little over my head. But but the carbon dioxide forming like carb amino groups on proteins. And apparently this changes like everything when these carb amino groups are around. And so, um, yeah, Ray talked about like carb amino insulin doing something different than normal insulin. And so like the whole organism is like changed basically, and they're resistant to 
uh, the advanced glycation end products, um, which is majorly formed from methyl glyoxal and the liberation of or the breakdown of triglycerides into free fatty acids and glycerol. Glycerol can be used to form the methyl glyoxal that is blamed on glucose. So uh, I'm not doing a good job answering question, but um, maybe we can talk about this more with Georgie because he, he understands cancer a lot better than I do. Uh, but Ray has written extensively about if, this. If you find his 100 years of cancer treatment, his cancer matrix uh, newsletter as well. And so those would be, I think those would answer some of these questions, especially the lactic acid one. Um, appreciate it, Matt. Thank you for that. Uh, this wasn't really a question. Murtaza says, is mildronate safe to take long-term uh, fatty acid oxidation inhibition? I don't know anything about mildronate, but I, I know Georgie does. Uh, Wilt says, how do you increase motivation? I noticed that my motivation sways from fairly motivated to not motivated at all. My hunch tells me that it's hormonal, perhaps androgen related, perhaps low serotonin, uh, low serotonin, not certain. Any specific tips to increase motivation? I think uh, assessing what's wrong, you know, I think a lot of times like extreme fatigue can stem from the intestine. And so if there's obvious dysfunction there, trying to correct it can increase the energy and thus the motivation. And then I've been subject to this many times, but like accidentally going vitamin D defi deficient can change everything for me. It can change my perception of things. It can change my energy, uh, my willingness to like answer emails and stuff. It, it, it's really a profound difference. And so intestine, vitamin D, and I don't know how old you are, Will, but sometimes I don't, past a certain age, thyroid or just T3 might be useful as well. B says, is there a connection between surviving meningitis as, as a nine-month baby and then going on to develop chronic gum disease? If yes, where, uh, where can someone like me, non-academic, find the research evidence? Many things. Sorry, B, I, I'm, I'm not sure at all. Uh, I'd have to look into that, but I, I uh, yeah, just off the top of my head, I do not know. Um, okay. <laughs> kind of assessing the questions here. How are you guys in the chat? Appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with me in on this Sunday Eve. Of sixty people, sixty-four people watching. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Hit the like button if you're enjoying it. I sincerely appreciate that. Okay, let's scan through these. Then we'll get to the super chats, and then um, we'll call it a day. Uh, we we kind of went through uh, cancer stuff. That's what uh, I think this. Uh, inhib inhibitor of oxidative phosphorylation exploits cancer vulnerability. I'd have to read this paper, so I, I haven't read it. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Can I give you anything intelligent? CJ says, "What are some of the staples in terms of achieving your daily calories?" Kind of went over that already. Also, what foods would you recommend for a speedy intestinal transit? Mushrooms or regular carrot salad? Making sure the vitamin D level is up. Uh, T3 are all good at doing that. Thanks, CJ. Uh, Bra uh, Braden Spaulding says, uh, it seems at the end of Ray Pete's sugar article, he recommends uh, what comes out to be 200 grams of carbs uh, for general stress resistance. Yet it seems everyone I, I see following Ray's <laughs> piece advice is eating significantly more than that. Is it good? Is it a good starting point? Is 150 grams too low? Is 100 grams of fat too high? Um. Yeah, the only article I can think that like provide or you know, okay, let me approach this from a different angle. There is a Duff, uh, uh, Duffy paper, um, 
or not Duffy, they reference the Duffy paper and they say, uh, not only may sufficient protein be provided, but also sufficient non-protein energy, i.e. carbohydrates, fats, must be available so that the carbon skeletons of amino acids are not used to meet energy needs. So you want enough uh, carbohydrate to not turn your dietary protein into sugar. And so that's something Ray has said many times, but I just wanted to get an extra Ray source for it. And so uh, maybe if a person has protein needs of um, this Phillips paper, uh, he's talking about 1.2 to 1.6 kilograms per day. And then that's kind of similar to this uh, military study where they found that women needed about 80 grams and men needed about 100 grams. And so if you have a, uh, if you're a man and you need 100 or 120 grams of protein per day, you might like, uh, like Ray said, you might need 200. I, it's, I, I just, I haven't seen anything that's like, like, so um, uh, like a mechanistic thing. Like if you get this, then you need this. So I think it does take some tinkering, but just to avoid low blood sugar. And so that might be different depending on a person's liver function. So some person uh, might be able to get 100 grams of protein and 200 grams of carbohydrate and do totally fine. But somebody maybe in a worse off state might need more carbohydrate, you know, if their liver isn't functioning that well. So um, the 100 grams of fat, you know, uh, I'd be tempted to say that was just too high. Unless, again, maybe the liver is malfunctioning and the fat is slowing down the absorption of the sugar and maybe that would be having a beneficial effect. But if, again, if a person were convinced that they should limit their consumption of the polyunsaturated fats, you probably, depending on how that hundred grams was constructed, it would probably be difficult to get, I don't know, like more, but it'd probably be getting a good amount, I think. And so I think, yeah, I think the decrease in the polyunsaturated fats is one of the main reasons to just keep the fat low overall. But again, that is, uh, there are, exceptions to that and i know this is a cop-out but it really depends how the person feels i think um yeah especially when transitioning you know i think just getting a person's head wrapped around everything is the most important thing it's not like oh make sure not to get a hundred grams of fat you know it's just like something letting the person go through the process and finding out what works and what doesn't and that's uh not something you can necessarily always help a person with like they just kind of there's some things a person has to do on their own um but yeah to a long story short i do think it's a good starting place there is a paper i i might or might not have in my notes but ray talked about like um monkeys or something they are the cortisol levels going up when they had less than 250 grams of carbohydrate so i think he has mentioned that before as well intelligent evolution says thyroid supplement ndt how late at night for last dose multiple doses best uh i think either one works multiple doses or one it, it depends on the amount a person is taking brian says if someone has a cerebral palsy or to have a seemingly over adult onset of food allergy sensitivity to virtually 90 percent of all the food and drink that they previously were able to enjoy uh where would you start and uh, what would you look for in order to determine the possible causes as well as all steps to take towards a solution? Hmm. I don't know uh, anything about cerebral palsy, but if something like that happened, I, I guess I would just start from least complex to most complex. Like um, what's like the, uh, what's the status of the intestine? You know, is, uh, are they leaning towards constipation, diarrhea, or gas? 
Have they eaten liver and oysters recently? Because just like a zinc deficiency can cause really erratic digestion, and that could throw things into a tailspin. What else here? So yeah, the foundational types of things, if anything new was introduced, those are the things that I would think of. The vitamin D and things like that, those can all be uh, really impactful, I think. Good stuff. Um, <laughs> I think this person did this last time, too. <laughs> These are a lot of questions for one question. <clears throat> Gastroparesis. I don't even know know what this is. It's a disease in which stomach cannot empty itself of the food of normal fashion. Symptoms include heartburn, nausea, vomiting, feeling uh, full when eating. Uh, yeah, I couldn't speak intelligently about it. I have experienced gastric, gastric reflux, though, and I think that was usually bacteria in my intestine. Um, and sometimes I took an antibiotic and it would come back. And Ray talked about... Uh, GERD, but I have some references in my notes that talk about it being related to hypothyroidism, so I think that would be something to check, too. But I don't know if that's the same thing. Uh, best ways, nutrients, other tips to protect from dirty electricity. They also say that there's increased calcium influx to the cell, which increases free radicals, uh, all diseases. I've heard that as well. Um, I don't have a good answer for this. Uh, all the solutions with netting and stuff are super expensive and cumbersome. I'm like in shock that nobody's created some kind of easy, easy tent or something that you can ground and, and carry. Uh, yeah, everything I've, well, I EMF proof, uh, EMF proof my office in Mexico with aluminum screening. It was a total pain in the ass. It was expensive and it didn't even work that well. Like it probably dropped the signal like 33 percent and so it was like a and i ruined the walls <laughs> and so it was a, not a good thing in the long term uh the one thing i did learn is i would have told you that i was doing it at, for like insurance before uh but but the, a guy was working on the modem that i had turned off i turned off the wi-fi so i was working at my computer and he was working it was like uh working on the modem and I started feeling like insane tension in my neck and I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't suspect what he was doing. I was like involved with my work. And I, after a while, I was like, man, this is crazy. Like how tense I feel. And I looked over and he had turned the Wi-Fi on um, the modem. But we were in a basically like a poorly constructed Faraday cage. And so... Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is something that flies way under the radar for a lot of people and significantly impacts their health because since then I've, um, again, this is very subjective and I take it with a grain of salt, but like even accidentally leaving this Wi-Fi router on, like the first thing I did when I got this Airbnb was connected via ethernet and turned off the Wi-Fi. I know it's like the littlest thing you can do in a city where you're like blanketed with Wi-Fi and, uh, uh cellular signal but the bed that we were sleeping on is right above it and one night i just had a horrible night's sleep and i came out and i forgot i had not turned off the wi-fi of the router so again that's not a conclusive story or anything but i i think it does matter and i think it's important uh, so i don't know the best way to protect aside from getting material to cover your office space 
which is annoying. Uh, bioenergetic diet and muscle building. Uh, we already talked about this. I would refer people to uh, Rob Turner, Functional Performance Systems, or Nicholas Simpson. Uh, but I don't think Nicholas does like consults, uh, consultations. I think Rob does them. How to stop uh, consuming too much information. I do have a thought on this. Like, uh, I, I really value this Evernote, you know, like I started accumulating information in here. And when I have a question, I consult my Evernote. I don't uh, consult. Uh, well, I don't necessarily consult the forum. Sometimes I will be looking for something I do not have in here. And I'll type in keywords and it will come up with a forum. And then an intelligent poster on there will have accumulated something that is very valuable. Uh, and that does happen. Um, but it, it was just, uh, yeah, this was an attempt. I've been like kind of using this Evernote since 2010 and I've been tagging almost every single note that I have in it. And so I just, uh, can you guys can see this, right? Okay, good. And, uh, I just use it every day, a hundred times a day. And it's been one of the most valuable things I've ever done. And yeah, and the, the search feature, I mean, it's like Evernote is, I think, receiving an overhaul right now in terms of user interface, but it's um, just extremely useful because you can search key, keywords and then I will bring up papers that you didn't even know those words were mentioned in. And so it's just uh, basically invaluable. Uh, Sven says, do humans produce any sort of pheromones? Uh, I think they do. I think conventional science says they don't. I've read papers that say they do, and so I don't. I don't know if this. Is, I don't think this is controversial. Okay, maybe uh, we'll call it a day there, because <laughs> um, there are a lot more. Okay, let me see what the super chats are. Thank you guys so much. Sincerely appreciate it. Uh, like the video if you guys are enjoying it. That helps me a lot. Uh, okay. First uh, thing is a first <laughs> super chat is from Michael for twenty dollars. Thank you so much, Michael. Very generous. Thanks, Dan. Your research is highly underrated. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for watching. Christina Tomaj for four ninety nine. No message. Thank you so much, Christina. Gregory for nine ninety nine. Thank you so much, Gregory. Uh, nine ninety nine for coconuts. <laughs> Uh, $2, Linda Bell. Thank you so much, Linda and Jojo for one ninety nine. Thanks, DR. Thank you guys. Sincerely appreciated that. Uh, it makes my day. Thank you guys. Um, okay. Let's go through a few more questions here. Kusam, a biological analysis for micro turrician syncope. Um, I don't understand these questions. Psoriasis. I think they can be a manifestation of lower thyroid. I don't know what this first one is. High body, high body temperature and drinking too much water at night. Uh, I'm going to skip this one. Uh, Harry Pitcher says, okay. Uh, <laughs> Harry says, okay, Danny, as ever, thank you for everything you do. Hoping to see you again sometime soon. Uh, thanks, Harry. And he says, and the question, think about Randall's cycle lately and how it is affected or not only by substances such as aspirin, nice and amide, essentially the problem uh, usually being that fats and carbs interfere with uh, each other's use and whether by taking aspirin and other things that the body's further to use glucose for energy, does that kind of bypass any problems that would usually occur from eating fats and carbs together? So the first thing is, I've said this before, I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record, but I don't think the Randall cycle is like specifically what you're eating. I think it's also the stress systems 
liberating the fat from your storage and creating the Randall cycle effect. And so that's a lot of ways online. It's like, don't eat carbs and fats together because of the Randall cycle. It's like, no, you're subject to the Randall cycle. Um, even if you're eating like exclusive sugar diet, you know, because the, if the stress systems are still ramped up, you're still going to be uh, liberating fat into the blood. And so that's the reason I think work on the thyroid function and decrease uh, bacteria in the intestine and things like that to just uh, decrease the chronic stress that's liberating the free fatty acids. Second question, when someone takes, did I actually answer? Yeah. Okay. Second question, when someone takes a drug such as MDMA, they often might have what is referred to as a come down. And it is explained by pointing, uh, pointing to serotonin and saying that serotonin is now depleted and that's why you feel low. However, could it be that you feel low because the body is sim- uh, simply actually increasing serotonin levels to account for the depletion during the high or indeed the high itself caused by serotonin being lost? Um, could this be, uh, be caused by the fact of having lost enough serotonin during the high and it's staying low for all? So I skipped ahead this question because I don't know. <laughs> Uh, this is a good question. It does come up a lot. I've just never read about MDMA. And I know that's what they, they say, like it depletes serotonin. But um, I, th- I feel like Ray has, has Ray addressed this? Ray P. Wiki. No. Yeah. Email exchange. By the way, if you don't have this email exchange bookmarked, it is uh, one of the most useful things. So MDMA. Oh, here we go. Okay, so Ray says... In pure form in moderate doses, uh, I think it's likely to be helpful for changing the pattern of chronic stress learned helplessness. And maybe the chronic degeneration disease is produced by inescapable stress. The production of nitric oxide is likely to be a problem with large doses or chronic use. So, uh, good stuff. Uh, Kiwi888 says, what are your thoughts on uh, redenosil for hair growth? I don't know what that is. <laughs> the newest breakthrough against hair loss and the best alternative to hair transplantation. Uh, uh, okay, I'll have to read about it. Um, Marcelo says, Good work. Thank you. John Louis says, Lowering cortisol too much is said to negatively affect mood. Uh, Nelson and Craigford, how do you balance it? I just uh, don't think that's something that normally happens unless a person destroys their adrenal glands and so i when i used to go to the stop the thyroid madness you know it was always low cortisol you don't respond to to thyroid because your cortisol is too low and i just uh i don't i'm open to being wrong about this but i just don't think that's something that necessarily happens until like very serious stages of stress um and and again, this could be faults in how it's being measured, you know, because they're saliva from urine to blood. And so I, my thinking would be that when the, the metabolic rate is low or the pulse and temperature are low or the TSH and the cholesterol are higher. In fact, I posted something about this, but the cholesterol is going to be have a functional functionally. It's going to be functioning at like a higher degree, basically. Um, and so. Danny Roddy, ketosis, and was it cholesterol? We're going to downgrade my, what was it, 47% chance of passing out to 13% due to the heat of this kitchen. <clears throat> okay, so these were some references, if anybody cares. Uh, 
this was an older tweet from October, and I had uh, put in a bunch about um, when the cholesterol goes up, that's associated with elevated cortisol. Uh, but I, I'm trying to say, I just I don't think that's normally something that is intertwined with a person's health, health problem. But I'd have to read this paper. Maybe I'll, my mind will be changed. Uh, Yao says, geographic fissured tongue, what does it mean? I know the tongue can become really big in hypothyroidism, and, but I don't know what that geographic fissured tongue specifically means. Um, I haven't read about it. Uh, Jared asked a question about uh, essential oils. I'm not sure. I would stay away from because <laughs> I think they smell terrible. Zach says, last week with Georgie, you mentioned having clients with cyber major digestive issues, having high B12 levels. What therapies have helped these individuals? So I would go from basic to uh, complex, but I think getting your nutrition sorted, making sure you're not eating like uh, hard to digest foods, like uh, undercooked vegetables or grains or beans and things like that. And then trying the intestinal disinfectants like the carrot salad or what, uh, well-cooked white button mushrooms or bamboo shoots, if you have them with uh, distilled white vinegar, salt, and refined coconut oil. And that would be the, totally the starting point. And then depending on the, how bad the symptoms were and how they were interfering with a person's quality of life, I think they could try some of the over-the-counter antibiotics like flowers of sulfur or megasporbiotic or fluorocyst. If those didn't work, they could try getting like a real antibiotic like minocycline or penicillin VK. Uh, or something like that. And so there, I, th- I think of it like te- going up tiers of complexity of trying to tackle intestinal problems. Uh, this person asked about photosynthesis, but by somebody, Arturo Solis, but I've never read it. Um, another one from Harry. How are we doing on time here? Okay, I will I'll answer this one more question. Okay, another one from Perry. He says, hey, Danny, I have another possibly very uh, pertinent question topic for you. This is uh, on the importance of choline and uh, intake of cholesterol. Damn, I wish I had listened to more carefully take advice straight away from telling us all to just eat liver, eggs, and oysters. I've been having troubles taking uh, pansterone and androsterone and thyroid. Something just like felt like it wasn't working and had often had the sense of having too low a cholesterol level. For them to really work, and on top of it, taking aspirin, niacinamide, thiamine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all this shit lowers it even further. And today was really reading about choline, just how important it is the synthesis of cholesterol, and that especially in certain populations, fructose, for instance, cannot be converted in cholesterol without choline, and is the major rate-limiting step. So instead of making cholesterol in the liver used for the fructose to make the triglycerides, which help to create the fatty liver, or if uh, not fatty or not fatty liver, then at least a sluggish liver, uh, which then makes any fat-burning, estrogen-detoxing, serotonin-lowering practically impossible. So today, I bought big, uh, juicy liver and ate it. ton of cholesterol, ton of choline, tons of vitamins, super rich of the superfoods, and have a sense of my thyroid and gonads are just turning back on. Anyway, yes, something about uh, speaking to that is I find it difficult. That is true. Rate-limiting step, very important, I know. And of course, whether you agree on this being a rate-limiting step, um... <laughs> I actually have to look it up. Um, I think choline is important, and Dan Bur- uh, T- Tim Burson's made a video on that. Uh, I thought fructose provided the acetyl-CoA, which was used by the uh, hepatocytes to produce uh, cholesterol. 
is that a choline dependent process chat? You guys can let me know. Um, I honestly have to look it up, but uh, yeah, the thing that sticks out to me about this is panstrone using panstrone, androsterone, and thyroid, uh, aspirin, niacinamide, thiamine, like that. That is that is uh, keeping track of what what's happening is with that approach. I think is just impossible. And so again, people, you might be way more fine tuned and be able to manage things, but I, that would just make me go crazy trying to manage all that stuff. And so like even the pansterone, androsterone and thyroid would be, those are like, I haven't never used androsterone. I used pansterone in like 2014 uh, when it first came out, but those are all very powerful things. And so it might just be really hard to get oriented when using multiple uh big needle movers at the same time and so i think what we're talking about a lot here is just keeping things ultra simple and uh even the thyroid dose can take a long time to dial in and so but using androsterone and panstrone and 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 many different things at the same time can just uh i think it can make it hard to discern the effects of what's happening okay that's it Very, very hot. We'll downgrade my, uh, what was it, 13, 14% chance of passing out to uh, 1% chance. Um, oh, uh, DBO514, thank you, brother. He goes, uh, thanks for the tireless uh, work. Uh, what was the paper which amazed you in the last five years? Like uh, Andrew's uh, 2015 paper on standard. Yeah, that was, I mean, there are like a, I have many papers, but there are ones that I like always go to, you know? I think that white matter uh, hyperintensities paper was enough to have me make a video about it. So I think that was pretty rare. Um, that paper. Uh, I always like it when Ray has been saying for something for a long time, and then you uncover a paper that says basically the exact same thing. And so I think, I feel like, you know, you're on the right track when that happens. Uh, but yeah, I would say that I don't know the author, but it's that white, white matter hyperintensities uh, paper uh, really made an impression on me when reading it. Because to my knowledge, that's the first kind of brain hair related paper that I'm aware of. OK, guys, thank you so much. Let me just wrap up things here. Uh, give this episode a like if you're if you enjoyed it. Sincerely appreciate it. I'm going to try to do these one a month. Uh, Ray Pete, George Dinkov this Friday, and I will be equally hot doing that episode. Um, subscribe if you're new thank you guys for hanging out with me thank you for the super chats sincerely appreciate it and I have a really great audience so I'm, I'm very fortunate to have you guys okay stay safe this week and I will see you guys very soon bye everybody